Welcome to the channel of Anna Purdue. Look for the link below the podcast and make sure to upload the podcast so you can multitask while hearing the message. And you can also look for the link and um, once you open it up, you can scroll over and select your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, or Google, and just look for the channel Anna Purdue. I want to give a huge shout out to Dave O., Vet for Peace, Darren J., Angela E., Karen C., Daniel B., Jolie R., and Kristen S. for your donations to the channel. And if you're interested in helping this channel, you can do so by clicking the donation link found on my website at AnnaPurdue.com. And another way to support this channel is by checking out this offer from my latest sponsor. Now, have you heard of shrinkflation? Yep, shrinkflation. This is where your candy bar or your burger gets smaller, but the price stays the same, right? Have you noticed this? It's happening all the time, everywhere now. But the government keeps telling us inflation is under control, or that it's just temporary. But what do you think? Exactly. This is just inflation by the back door. Noble Gold is ahead of the game here. They know that with a precious metal IRA under your belt, you'll hedge these rising prices so you can retire without worrying about it. You'll keep up with the inflation the folks in Washington are trying to hide. And this month, as a thank you, and to kickstart this precious metal project, Noble Gold is giving away a free 5-ounce solid silver America the Beautiful Bullion Cube with every qualifying IRA or 401k rollover. Take advantage of this amazing investment opportunity by visiting Noble Gold Investment com or you can call us at 877-646-5347 that's 877-646-5347 there are a few people in this world whom we trust more than doctors we've always trusted doctors we were always taught to trust doctors we give them power over everything including life and death and we just assume that they always have our best interest at heart Sometimes, though, that's just not true. Here are a few case studies. Dr. Thomas Neil Cream is primarily remembered for his connections to Jack the Ripper. People who believe that the two were the same person point to Cream's medical training, his targeting of prostitutes, and his alleged confession. While being hanged, he said... I am Jack the... And he died. Ripper aside, Cream created his own murderous path through England, the United States, and Canada. Born in Scotland and raised in Canada, Cream opened his practice in Ontario. His first likely victim was his patient and alleged mistress, Kate Gardner who was dumped in an alley in 1879, dead from chloroform poisoning. Her death could have been the result of Cream's side business, giving abortions to prostitutes. To avoid prison, he moved to the United States and continued his back alley abortions in Chicago. Different sources ascribe a number of suspicious prostitute deaths to Cream during this period. However, it's difficult to say if they were victims of willful murder or the inherent dangers involved in the illegal abortions at that time. One person definitely murdered by the doctor was Daniel Stott. Cream was supplying him with epilepsy medicine while also sleeping with his wife. 
When Stott became a problem, Cream slipped some strychnine into his medicine. The doctor's mistake was trying to pin the murder on the pharmacist. This caused an investigation to be launched into Stott's death for which Cream was convicted. Years later, Cream was released and moved to London, settling in Lambeth. This is when his killing spree kicked into high gear as he began poisoning prostitutes just for the fun of it. He killed four women, but Cream couldn't help himself and wrote letters trying to implicate other men in the murders. Even worse, he once met a U.S. policeman and gave him a tour of Lambeth describing the murders in such detail that it immediately raised the officer's suspicions. So, the officer reported it to Scotland Yard. Then we have Dr. Joseph Mengel. He was an SS physician at the concentration camp in Auschwitz during the Second World War. As prisoners were led off the trains into the camp, Dr. Mengel would stand in his white coat with his arms outstretched, earning him the nickname Angel of Death. The doctor's job was to examine each person to see if he or she was healthy enough to enter the forced labor camp or not. Those deemed unfit to work were immediately led to the gas chambers. The doctor was also known for his harsh solutions to minor problems. For example, he once ordered all 750 women in a dormitory to be gassed because of an outbreak of head lice. Oh, that's just horrible. However, it was not the doctor's role in these crimes against humanity that earned him his notoriety. Rather, it was his fondness for performing forced medical experiments on the prisoners, especially on twins and children. Mingle operated on people without using anesthesia, often removing their organs, amputating limbs, injecting dyes into eyeballs in an attempt to change the eye color. And he even sewed twins together to form monostrum. Oh, gosh, it's horrible. Um, but oh, most of his patients, they died on the operating table or quickly after due to an infection. But after the war, Mingle ended up fleeing to South America as though most a lot of them did, and he lived there until his death in 1979. Though he was a wanted war criminal, he was, of course, never captured or brought to justice. And then we have Jane Topin. She was an American nurse who killed 31 of her patients by administering lethal injections of morphine. Over the course of two decades, while working in the Boston, Massachusetts area, Topin may have actually killed upwards of 70 people. As a young, attractive 26-year-old nurse, Topin was able to hide her dark obsession with death from nearly everyone she worked with. Even as a nursing student, she would alter her patients' medicine dosages to see what would happen to their nervous systems. And once she became a registered nurse, she took her skills to the next level, administering overdoses of morphine and atropine. Topin finally slipped up when she murdered a man whom she was caring for as a private nurse. Along with Alden Davis, Topin also killed two of his daughters, leaving a third daughter to go to the police and start an investigation. Once one of the Davis girls was exhumed, authorities discovered that she had indeed been poisoned and it 
didn't take much to figure out who was behind the treachery. After Topin was caught, she is quoted as saying that she wanted to kill more people than anyone who has ever lived before. She confessed to 31 of her murders and provided details to help solve them. Since Topin had a well-documented history of attempted suicide, she was committed to a mental hospital where she lived for 40 years until her death in 1938. Though American doctor Michael Swango appeared to be handsome and congenial in nature, signs of his inner mental instability were noticeable to colleagues even while he was attending medical school. Swango's classmates observed that he often worked on a scrapbook containing images of horrific bloody disasters and they worried that some of the basic anatomical knowledge expected from a physician was sorely lacking. However, no one knew how scary Swango really was until they discovered years later that he had killed between 30 and 60 of his patients. As an intern in 1983, Swango's patients started quietly dying after he had been in the room with them. Though nurses alerted hospital officials at Ohio State University, their cursory investigations revealed nothing, and Swango continued to practice medicine without reproach. He moved to Illinois, taking a job as an ambulance driver because he admitted that he liked seeing the blood and gore of accidents. It was there that his co-workers again became suspicious of him. Swango began slowly poisoning his co-workers with ant poison, sending them home sick with terrible stomach pains. And after a particularly bad episode involving a tainted batch of donuts, his co-workers set a trap for Swango by leaving him alone in a room with a pitcher of iced tea. And sure enough, they had that picture of tea tested in a lab and they found out that he had indeed put ant poison in the tea. A police search of Swango's home found chemicals, weapons, and handwritten recipes for poison and he was arrested. He served two years of his five-year sentence. That's it. Incredibly, after being released for good behavior, he was able to move to a different state and he lied his way into another job in the medical field. Swango's past caught up with him wherever he went, though, until he finally forged his credentials again to continue his murderous practice in a remote hospital in Africa. After poisoning more patients in Africa, Swango skipped out of the ensuing scandal and hid in Europe for several years when he finally tried to re-enter the United States in 1997. Officials were waiting for him at the airport, and he was arrested and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Then there's Dr. John Bodkin Adams. He was a British doctor who, between the years of 1946 and 56, he may have been responsible for the death of over 160 of his patients. Dr. Adams was a general practitioner who he was especially friendly towards his elderly female patients. He would dote on them to the point where they seemingly decided to rewrite their wills. In fact, 132 of these patients added Dr. Adams to their wills just before they passed away. 
The interesting thing about this doctor is that he was never found guilty of murder or other professional negligence, leading some people to wonder if Dr. Adams was helping his patients euthanize themselves. However, a later trial regarding 13 additional offenses, including prescription fraud, lying on cremation forms, obstructing a police search, and failing to keep a dangerous drugs register, earned him a guilty verdict and stripped him of his medical degree. After two failed attempts, Adams got his license back in 1961. After he was acquitted on the murder charges, Adams kept practicing medicine until he died of natural causes. This case instigated many changes to the English legal system. Or at least, that is what we are led to believe today. In a recent shocking video clip that went viral on the internet, we learned of hospital marketing and administration personnel admitting they plan to deceptively count all patients in the hospital as certain unmentionable type patients. They un- openly discuss finding a way to make this thing more scary to the public as a tactic to terrorize the public into taking more of their stuff, which will, of course, increase the business for the hospital due to the blood clots. This stunning viral video that I can't play here is an open exhibit revealing that hospitals have become psychological terrorism organizations that deliberately terrorize the public. Make sure to look on your search engine for the viral video, and you'll want to type in Dr. Mary Rudyk, R-U-D-Y-K. Is this the proper role of hospitals and doctors in society? When did hospital administrators decide that the ends justify the means, even if it requires terrorizing the public to gen up more business so they can bill Medicare for even more profits? More importantly, why would any sane person ever trust any hospital ever again after what we are learning today? If hospitals are scheming against the public, why wouldn't they also likely be willing to harm their own patients in order to increase their profits? History tells me this is possible. Have no illusions. This is exactly what is happening in America and around the world right now, where hospitals have become Jack the Ripper factories and doctors are now Joseph Mingles. It's no longer even a secret. They openly discuss this in their marketing meetings. Did you know hospitals are exterminating patients with their breathing machines, especially if they are non-compliant with the DNA-altering experimental depopulation syrup being pushed by the government. Over the months, we have seen real nurses come forward saying hospitals are slaying patients with the use of these machines. These things are mechanical breathing devices that breathe for the patient when they are unable to breathe on their own. Do you remember this? When our former president ordered General Motors to produce these breathing machines under the Defense Production Act, under the order, Health and Human Services is given authority to force GM to accept, perform, and prioritize 
federal contracts for breathing machines. Our former president signaled that his patience with automakers was running short and that he thought they were dragging their feet. He said, that he, he actually tweeted this, General Motors must immediately open their stu- stupidly abandoned Lordstown plant in Ohio or some other plant and start making breathing machines now. Ford, get going on this fast. That administration thought that it had struck a deal with General Motors, but it seemed at the time that the negotiations had broken down. And he said, We thought we had a deal for 40,000 machines. Price became a big object. And he suggested that GM had lowered its commitment to 6,000 machines. Then he later ordered Health and Human Services and the Department of Homeland Security to use the Defense Production Act to increase the U.S. production of personal protective equipment and those breathing machines. And there you have it. With these machines, the patient is sedated and a tube is placed down into their lungs, which inflates the lungs with oxygen to mimic breathing. These things are used as a last resort, since only 14% of patients on them even survived the process. These machines are dangerous because they are a closed system to breed bacteria. Doctors and nurses oftentimes do not set the machine for the proper amount of oxygen needed by the patient, often resulting in too much oxygen pumped into the blood. Without the proper mix of oxygen and carbon dioxide, oxygen in the blood is not properly utilized, causing the patients more harm than good. According to Dr. Byron Artis, hospitals dictate the protocols for certain treatment, and among these protocols include the use of drugs, remdesivir, dexamethasone, and vancomycin drugs that together can cause serious adverse effects to the body. Remdesivir was previously used as a treatment for Ebola and has since been approved by the FDA for the treatment for this latest sickness in certain situations. Patients with mild clinical presentation who may not initially require hospitalization may manage their illness at home. However, the decision to monitor a patient in an inpatient or outpatient setting could be made on a case-by-case basis. Artis is making the case that the U.S. system has failed Americans. His father-in-law was recently taken to the hospital with a fever and a headache. Within days, his health deteriorated by developing pneumonia and then kidney failure. Five days after he was admitted, Artis claimed his father-in-law was barely conscious. He then found that the hospital was treating him with antibiotics. Moreover, tests came to show that his father's results came back negative for bacterial, viral, or fungal infections. Still, the hospital continued to treat him with these antibiotics as per protocol. The only reason why you would do that is to cover up your crimes of murdering someone by drowning them to death. And we were able to prove to them that they were actually purposely doing that with an ill-advised hospital protocol, artist said. After consulting with the family, doctors injected morphine into his father-in-law, claiming that would relieve the pain. 
And this was an action which finally did him in. Is it possible thousands of the most vulnerable people in society were eliminated by using large doses of a drug called imidazolam that is used for sedation in end-of-life care? Mitazolam is used for the management of sedation, terminal restlessness, seizures to manage anxiety and end-of-life care. Mitazolam has a food, U.S. Food and Drug Administration black box warning which notes that the medication has been associated with respiratory depression and arrest because it can slow or stop breathing. Black box warnings are issued to consumers when medications or products may have serious or life-threatening side effects that could lead to severe illness, hospitalizations, and death. The drug works by slowing down brain activity, which helps with relaxation and sleep. It belongs to a group of medications that slow down the central nervous system. In recent years, mitazolam has been used as one of the three medications which, when combined, are given to prisoners as part of death penalty executions. 